Welcome to Heartside Chats. This is Dr. Chelsea Wakefield in conversation with my friend, Lisa Stutzman Graves. And we are talking about all things related to life, love, and the pursuit of consciousness. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy. Good morning, Lisa. Hey, Chelsea. How's it going today? It's a good day. Yeah, every day's a good day, right? Yeah, possibly. You know, it kind of depends on how we set ourselves up at the beginning of the day. I love to, I have a little morning practice that I do where I try to get centered, focused, set my intentions, and then head on out into the day. Yeah, you have a chair you like to go to in your house, don't you? And to have your quiet time and do. I have the brown chair by the window. It's actually an electric chair, the, not an electric chair, but the the footstool is automated. You know, you press the button and the footstool goes up. And the minute it goes up, my little dog comes running out of the bedroom and, and jumps on the edge of the bed and curls around and plops down and sits there and looks at the birds. And uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's part of our morning routine. I know that the minute the minute I press that button on the side, <laughs> the mechanism starts sounding that he's going to come running out. So that's part of the morning routine of just kind of sitting there for a little while and and trying to get myself centered and focused and having an intention. So yes, it's a good day. Well, our conversation right now is great about what we're going to talk about today, and that is communication. So I think that. Uh... By you doing that kind of sets the tone for you to be a better vessel in communicating with the world. What do you think? I certainly hope so. Certainly hope so. Yeah, I I try not to overthink things. You and I are, um, I, I'm a big, I'm a big thinker, but um, I think that actually the most important stuff in the world comes from your heart, not from your head. Yeah, I love that. Well, I love this quote you have in your book, Labyrinth of Love, from George Bernard Shaw. The single biggest problem in communication is the illusion that it has taken place. Boy, isn't that the truth. I see. I think that most of my day when I'm working with couples is spent around that quote. The idea that communication has taken place when it hasn't even remotely taken place. One person is talking those sounds are traveling across the space between them and landing in the other person's ears. And then they're doing stuff with it. They're filtering it. They're hearing what they want to hear. It's landing in nerves in the other person and they're reacting to it. All sorts of stuff happens around communication that makes it really complicated. You know what just flew into my head when you said that? Like I had a complete visual is that, you know, when you say something to somebody and then they have their own way that they filter it. I imagined in my head, literally a blender showed up in my head of them taking what you're saying and hitting pulse in their spirit world and their body and all their emotions. And then them saying or reacting to what you've said. Yep. Yep. It's, that's why it's so complicated is because we really don't know from our intention to the way things land in the other person's world. We just have no idea what's going to happen with that. It's a mystery. So not only could be what we're going to talk about today be great for couples, but it could be great for anybody that wants to have better communications, whether it's with your child or in your workplace or anywhere. Absolutely. And something that I am often telling people is rather than coming into a conversation with a lot of pronouncements, 
ask, start with questions, ask more questions, especially mm-hmm. if you're upset, you know, like what, what were you intending? What, what, what is it that you were trying to get across? I'm a little bit confused over here. I think, I think being confused is a good plan for learning and, and untangling these misunderstandings that we often find ourselves in. Yeah. Well, I was, I was going to say, when I was in corporate America, I can't tell you how many times, and I, I think this is actually good leadership, even though I did not care for the company, um, but they would ask you a lot, help me understand. You mean they actually use that as a gambit? They use that word a lot. Oh my gosh. That would make you kind of scared about that phrase. Well, it did because it's not a it's not a true heartfelt situation. No. They really didn't care. Well, also it, I would assume that people would that would indicate to people that they were in trouble somehow. You know, it's like help me understand. Uh, what exactly were you thinking? <laughs> and that's something that I I tell couples when they're trying to communicate. It's don't play lawyer. Don't try to corner. <laughs> do not, don't try to corner your partner with your preconceived notions about what they're about and what they were intending. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're asking questions, they can't be lawyer questions. They're not on the witness stand. Ask questions because you sincerely want to learn something. When my son was in graduate school, he would and, and undergraduate, he would tell me, "Don't micromanage me." And so now that he is an attorney, I say, don't lawyer me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> you have another great quote in the book uh, from Hal and Sidra Stone. It's not what you say, but who says it. Absolutely. And that's a little bit confusing for our listeners who maybe haven't listened to other podcasts where we were talking about the inner cast of characters. But if you think about who is it in me and all my subpersonalities, which of those subpersonalities, those inner characters, is actually speaking? And there will be an energy and an attitude. You know, if I'm speaking from my vulnerable child inside, I'll be in one place. If I'm speaking from my warrior princess, I'll be in another place. My critical mother or my nurturing mother, caring mother in another place. All of those are different archetypes. They all have different energies. And depending on where I'm speaking from, who it is in me that's speaking, I'm going to be sending both words and what I call the meta message, which is the attitude, the energy, and it's going to land in the listener and evoke something. Wow, I love that, the meta message. I have never heard that. Is that something you've brought up, you've made, you coined? No, that's been, I don't know who's coined that, but it is um, something that people talk about. It's the unspoken message. The body language. It's, it's the expression on your face. It's your body language. It's the tone of voice, whether the tone is harsh or gentle. Um, it's just the general attitude because when we're in a particular, well, I'm going to call it an archetypal stance, the stance that we're in the place from which we're communicating, a lot of stuff comes across with the words. Well, speaking of that, could you give us a very good working, uh, definition of archetypes? Yes. I think this is important because the word archetype I've noticed recently is in the, the common language of the world nowadays. I heard it on a, a television commercial the other day and I thought, wow, that really means it's it's out in usage. And the confusion about archetypes, the first confusion is that most people think they are referring to a role. 
you know, like if you're in the role of a mother or a warrior or a teacher, um, those are all archetypes. But the thing about it is that they're really systems of energy. And what I mean by a system of energy is that they're a whole universe. So if I'm in the archetype of the caregiver, that means I'm really focused on the person I'm caring for. I'm focused on them, I want them to be okay, I'm caring for them, I'm attending to them. And I not only have thoughts related to that and job description related to that, but I also have a, a whole somatic component, the way I feel, kind of maybe a little softer, a little warmer, be very different than the archetype of the warrior, say, which is a lot more tough, you know, and it's really focused on protecting and defending and possibly even killing. Um, very different energy. And along with that energy, the body is going to feel a certain way. And you're going to have a certain set of thoughts, a certain agenda, things that motivate you to act in certain ways, think in certain ways, and feel in certain ways. So archetypes are entire systems of energy. And in the uh, Jungian world, we always understand that archetypes are unconscious. So we're mm. driven by those systems of energy without really being cognitively aware of it. And we can shift from one place to another across the scope of a day, even across the scope of a conversation. We can just move from, you know, like delighted child and so happy to see you to scared child to, to rebel teen and, a caring mother and critical mother and we, I, you know, mama bear and teacher and all these different archetypal stances in the course of one conversation. And, um, you know, so for instance, if I think about like, what, what is the stance I'm in right now? I'm kind of in the archetypal stance of the teacher and wanting to inform, wanting to clarify, wanting to make sure that the listeners understand what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, so does that help with understanding what an archetype? It does. Uh, it really does. And I was just sitting here thinking, uh, I had a lot of thoughts flying through my head, but I was thinking about when you said the word unconscious and I was thinking about, you know, I love to go to spiritual retreats and all of that and study all that. And it's when you get in the presence of somebody who's truly conscious it's just a special, special place to be. And then I, th I thought further about that, and I thought, gosh, you know, our society, everybody's connected to their phones, and does that really help them be conscious? In my opinion, it doesn't. I think it makes them more unconscious. What is yours? Well, you said a couple important things there. First of all, I, I think the concept, I'm going to say a, a fancy word here, the concept of evocation evocation, which means when you're in the presence, for example, of a really incredibly spiritually astute, really advanced, a wise person, the wisdom energy, the archetype of the, you know, like the spiritual teacher or the, um, the wise person tends to evoke a resonance in the people that are interacting with that and draw forward a different dimension of that person's psyche. Mm. So that's why, you know, when we when we go and we listen to lectures or sermons or homilies uh, by really wise people, teachers, spiritual teachers, 
we are drawn into a deeper place within us just by being in their presence. And a lot of times their energy, which when I think about various teachers in my life that had a lot of the emanation of heart energy and of love, um, as, as well as wisdom, it tends to take you into your heart, into your soul, into your spiritual orientation. Um, so that, that evoking is also something that an archetype will do. It will evoke a reaction in the listener and the person that is in your presence. And the archetypal energy that another person is in will evoke something in you. So that's, that's the, the first thing that I started thinking about when you were, when you were talking. And what about, um, do you feel like, because everybody's so attached to their device, their phone, the computer, that that makes them, to me, it makes them more unconscious. I totally agree. I think that being on your device is a way of kind of zoning out. And you're, you're really focusing on this thread or this, you know, scrolling through all sorts of stimulating images and messages. And I think it actually drains our energy. And I wish people would spend a portion of their day every day putting away their phones and just getting still and listening and discovering the wisdom that they have within them and, and really listening uh, to the voice of soul. It's like, what, what is their inner guidance telling them about who they are, how they want to live? So, you know, a morning practice where they set their intention by listening and getting still instead of beginning their morning with a lot of stimulation of, you know, like scrolling through the various things that people scroll through and reading the news and all of that. I love in your book um, where you say, if you want something from your partner, get clear on what you want before you begin. And I had a situation in my own family lately where I had to get clear on, on the next steps that I wanted. And it was, it could have been, it could have been a little involved, but, um, I took some time and I wrote down my thoughts and I prayed about it. And then I worked on writing them again and I probably didn't take action for about a week. Um, and it had a great result. So talk to us more about getting clear. And when you have something you want to approach with your partner or a family member or work. Well, I think you just outlined it really beautifully. From my perspective, that was very wise of what you did, especially when we're activated, when we're activated and we're upset in some way, it's really a good idea to just, you know, take some time, begin within, figure out, you know, what is, in, what is it in me that's getting so stirred up about this and what do I really want as an outcome? Do I just want to, you know, pop off and tell them off or, you know, tell them how they're being hurtful or wrong or how I wish they would be different? that's not really going to give you a good outcome. So get when I talk about getting clear, I'm really talking about thinking about what is the outcome you want as a result of having this conversation. And then what stance, what archetypal stance do I really want to approach this person from knowing that it's going to evoke something in them? So can I be clear about what my request is? And also be willing for them to say no to my request and maybe having, have that be the beginning point of a conversation where I might say, well, so is, is there any part of that that you could agree to? Or tell me more about, you know, why that 
would be a problem for you. I want to, again, here, help me understand. But from a heart space, really wanting to learn, not wanting to, I'm not trying to corner them. I'm trying to understand when I ask for this and it travels across that empty space between us and goes into the other person's ears, lands in their ears and their nervous system. What happens for them when I ask for this? What are they making it mean? What is the history around their resistance to it, their concerns about it, things of that sort? And yeah, so getting clear and getting calm. There's so many things in life that we can get upset about. And you know, in, in my advancing age, I've just learned that when I get upset about something, I just need to spend a little time by myself and get calmed down, not just pop off like I used to. In your, in your opinion, as a therapist, let's just stick to romantic relationships right now. In this situation, it was not a romantic relationship. It was a family relationship. But I have found personally, especially when I have something to really say something deeply from my heart, to write it as if I'm writing a story, and then to come from my heart and really hone it. In your opinion, in a romantic relationship, do you find that it's better to talk directly to the person or can you write to them or can you find another way to communicate to them? Is that appropriate? I, I like what you're saying because I actually have some couples in my practice that pr they have a journal. If there's something important that they want to get across, they will write in the journal and then the other person can read it and think about it and then respond to it in the journal. And these are couples that sometimes have great difficulty with spoken communication, either because they tend to escalate fairly quickly and get upset with each other, or they're really introverted and they need to take some time to think about things. So I do think that writing things down and journaling about something can be really helpful. Not everybody is a journaler. I think that just you know considering it, taking a few minutes to think about what is it that I really want to get across and what am I, what, what do I want as an outcome? What am I asking for? Yeah, in this instance, I did an email. Um, and I know you've mentioned in the past, sometimes when you have a, a, a client, there's long text threads. Of course, I'm not going to do a text. But I was just curious if you had other ways of communicating between a romantic couple. And I'm glad to hear that journaling or writing is one of them. Yeah, and it, a recent development in the world of couples is the text argument. Yeah. It's like, please, people, just stop doing that. Just stop doing that. You know, with these, I, I've seen them. They just, you, they go on and on and on. These enormous texts with big capital letters and exclamation points <laughs> and emojis. And, you know, it's, this is no way to resolve something. You know, it's just, everyone stop doing that. And let's get back to um, really taking a few minutes to figure out what you're upset about, what it is that you want. And then there's another concept I really want to get across. And that is that, number one, relationships are not about turning the other person into who you want them to be. There's so much of this that goes on in relationships that, I mean, it, yeah, and it's very complicated because if the other person is doing something that is really offensive to you, or really upsetting, it's good to give them that information. Um, 
I mean, you know, like an example is around something like hygiene. You know, it's like, I really need you to shower more often. If you really want to have more frequent sex, you might want to take a shower. Um, Things of that sort. That's good information to convey. But at the same time, just crafting every little nuance of your partner's behavior and style is really not okay. And the other thing that's difficult in communicating like something that you want is when you're communicating from demand energy. And people can speak in very soft tones, but there's still demand energy attached to it. And you know it's a demand if there's some sort of punishment that's going to occur if they don't comply. So I could be speaking very softly and very sweetly, but if you don't do what I want, then I'm not going to speak to you or I'm going to not have sex with you for two weeks, or I'm going to not spend a lot of energy on your birthday, or, you know, some sort of a punishment over that really sweet tone. And people pick up on that eventually. And demand energy, nobody likes to be on the receiving end of demand energy. Mm-mm. So you, we, we all have to have to watch that. So the paradox, again, is giving information about things that are, you know, raw spots for me, hard for me, my preferences, and, you know, how I work over here, but not, you know, you need to be exactly who I want you to be, or the following consequences will occur. I love in the book where you talk about um, watch for the tendency to mind raid, um, and a lot of times that involves projection, and then when you have something to address, with your partner, ask if this is a good time and make sure to check the weather report uh, of their mood. And uh, I, you know, being only married three years, I'm, I'm very silo in how I approach things as far as t- when I get in task mode. So when my husband gets home, I, I've learned the hard way that I don't need to approach him in task mode. I need to go, we need to have dinner, we need to have some downtime. And then... If the weather report is good, I will bring up everything that I need done. It requires a lot of patience on my part, which I'm not always the most patient person. Yes, that's re- that is skillful communication. So in the book, I, I have this journalist model of who, what, when, why, where, how. And so the who would be who in me is speaking. The what is what do I really want to get across. Um, where has to do... Where has to do with where the conversation is taking place. When has to do with the timing. And, you know, really asking somebody, if you know what it is that you want to communicate, what you want to resolve, what kind of plan you want to make, the when is really important. Because when people are completely burnt out and exhausted, they're not in a place to to solve anything. So we really, it's a good idea to see if they're in a place where they can actually engage in the kind of conversation that we want to have. That's part of the clarity piece of why, you know, why, why do I want to speak to you and what is it that I want to get across and uh, is this a good time and, you know, where would be a good place? Um, yeah, all of that. And how, how, what's the attitude? How do I want to communicate? Mm-hmm. You know, my mother was just, I look back on her life now, and she was such a mentor on relationships that I just didn't realize I had growing up. Uh, But she always 
had a weather report on my dad. Not that he was Mercury or anything like that, but she she just had a knack for really knowing his love language and when to, you know, approach him on things. And, and I think he did the same thing for her uh, in a different way, of course, because they're two different people. But it was such a dance to watch now. And I remember when I got engaged to my husband, she said, well, I'm so excited for you, Hunley. I know you've been alone a long time and um, I've tried to model for you a lot of things that have worked for your dad and I. Well, your parents, when I listen to their relationship, I just think how lucky you were and how lucky they were to have found each other and so many aspects of their relationship was so beautiful. Um, what I like about what you said is that both of them did that and not just the woman because traditionally the woman has been the keeper of the relationship dimension and the one who's been taking the weather report. What, what we mean by weather report is like, how are things in your world today? Are they stormy? Are they sunny? You know, where are you? Like checking in if the other person is seeing where they are and, you know, choosing a time that's good for someone. And traditionally that's been the woman's job, but we in, this is 2022, we're heading into 2023 and it's time for both partners, both partners to be really learning better communication skills and attuning to where their partner is and really being uh, wise and effective and skillful in their way of communicating. I love where you talk about, too, um, as we grow closer, our projections start to fall away. And we will learn that there's more to know about this person we are building a life with. Absolutely. And so, you know, people, they, all the time, we think we know who this person is, this intimate other that we live with. But they are growing and changing in ways internally in their life experiences that we are not always aware of. And so checking in to see who are you today? Who are you this year? And hopefully we're growing and becoming more loving and more skillful, more, you know, living more deeply, hopefully. But sometimes people can be getting more bitter or more uh, rigid. Uh, that's another dimension that people will go in over time. So it's really important to not assume that you, that the person that you're married to or you're in relationship with is the same person that you originally met because people do change. They change internally, they, their attitudes change. And hopefully, hopefully, we are learning and deepening and growing and becoming more loving, more intentional, more skillful in our ways of, of living life and in relating. A wise friend of mine used to tell me that every seven years, uh, a couple changes. And it's up to one or the other to bring the other partner to the change. Uh, and I thought that was very interesting and progressive. Um, I haven't experienced that yet myself, but I don't know. You've been married a long time. What do you, how do you feel about that? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think that it needs to happen a lot more frequently than seven years. Oh, really? I, I, I actually, um, I, I think that that needs to happen almost weekly. It, it's something that really vitalizes a relationship to be really curious about What's been rumbling around in your inner world, honey? You know, it's like, who are you today? Who are you this week? What's been 
uh, stirring you up, moving you, inspiring you, troubling you, in your really being curious about the person's inner world. No matter how old they are or how long you've been married. Absolutely. And, you know, for some people, some of the most amazing interior shifts happen as they are in their 70s and 80s because they're realizing that their time is short and that they really need to resolve some things and figure out some things and really face their lives and face the ending of their lives, even if they're not really conscious that they're doing that. But that's, you know, this life review or the quote unquote bucket list that people get involved in. It's really important um, to think that we're not going to be on this earth forever. And we're, you know, for people who love each other, uh, really staying engaged in that latter part of life. I'm, I'm a big fan of late life love. And I think too, part of that, uh, that I'm learning now is to pass that along to the next generation, that family time and that quality time and the importance of relationships, because we're not going to all agree at the same time on everything by any means. Uh, But it is important to keep the family together as best you can. And in today's world, that is so hard. In, In my instance, everybody's everywhere. I've got three different time zones of families. So we've started a family FaceTime once a month, and uh, it just started, and I'll keep you posted on that. It's in its infancy, but uh, it was pretty well attended the first time, so I'm excited about that because I don't really know how to, other than get on a plane. I think that's a really lovely tradition to have a once a month check-in with people, you know, find a time when you can all just get together, either by uh, a video meeting, a Zoom meeting, uh, a FaceTime um, yeah, because we are we are scattered. We are scattered. And I know you're in the same situation I am. Yep. I've got a son in California. Yeah, both our boys are in California. Chelsea, do you mind in our last maybe seven minutes talking to us about real dialogue? So real dialogue, uh, it's in the book. There's an explanation of it. And it's something that originated with this wonderful uh, couples therapist by the name of Polly Young Eisendrath. Polly Young Eisendrath, and I did some really beautiful training with her a few years back. Um, the The real dialogue process is something that uh, here are the, the the basic components that are that are really important is that the, the sincerity of wanting to really understand what the other person is talking about, and what's important in real dialogue is that. The the listener, you know, so the speaker will say something and they they need to speak for themselves. We need to not get into you, 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 you're an idiot, you did this. All of those accusatory, critical messages that we can easily send over to a partner when we're upset with them. But to speak for ourselves from our own experience. For example, I'm having a really big problem with what just happened between us would be an I message speaking for oneself, an I message, or I'm feeling hurt by something that you said a little while ago. That would be an I message. It doesn't mean that the other person intended to be hurtful. It doesn't mean that they're an idiot or that they, you know, are selfish and all the things that we can get into accusing and labeling the other person. But just reporting that I'm having some trouble with something that happened between us or I was hurt by something. 
And even, even just that statement can easily evoke defensiveness in the other person. So these, these kinds of conversations um, can get really dicey. So if people follow a protocol, which I outline two different protocols in my book, the Real Dialogue Protocol and the Initiator Inquirer, which is something that was developed by Ellen Bader and Pete Pearson. Uh, both of those are really good uh, protocols for getting through a difficult conversation and to stay in the sincerity of a learning stance. Um, so speaking for oneself, and then what's really helpful is for the listener to reflect back what they think the other person said. And this is where we can really start to untangle projections, uh, reactions, nerves that, you know, it's like I said something kind of neutral and it landed in a nerve on you. So tell me what you think I said. Please tell me, you know, what it is that you interpreted that I was meaning. And so having that other person reflect back so that you can get that one exchange straightened out. Because once you get miscommunication and misunderstanding going, it's, it's like the whole rest of the conversation is a waste of time. So slowing down and really taking each cycle of communication and making sure that you understand what the other person was trying to get across, to communicate responsibly by keeping it in eye language and not projecting, not telling the other person what they intended, telling the other person who they are and all the other person's labels, uh, the accusations and all of those kinds of things, which, which just evokes defensiveness and does not move the conversation forward. And then moving into um, a request and then a conversation about that, you know, okay, could you do that? I think it's really important when we request something to get what I call a contract, uh, you know, to, would you agree to do that? Um, and then finding out if they will agree. And if they don't, is there any part of it that person can do? Or what, what do they suggest? Do they have any ideas about how they might think that this could be solved? And staying in, just really staying in a learning conversation, really staying in a learning conversation and watching our personal complexes, the places where we get reactive and defensive. The, you know, communication, deep communication between two people requires a lot of personal work because it's so easy to get defensive and upset. And, um, and then it's hard to hear, hard to listen. Um, anyway, so those are, those are protocols that I outline extensively in the book. Years ago, I went uh, to see a therapist when I first started my journey. And talking about the eye language, this is something that she said to me that really resonated involving eye language. And she said um, to say what you notice, what you feel, and what you want, all using the word I and not you. And I really have to pause and think about it that way. And you is accusatory. So I really spend a lot of time breathing. Um, I'm, I'm very quick and I'm a quick thinker and I'm probably too quick um, a lot. So I have to really slow myself down and think before I speak. Yep. We all need to just continue to practice that. And I, I agree just to talk about what you noticed, you know, in without interpreting it, just talking as if, you know, if I was a Martian that came to Earth and I knew nothing about what this meant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I noticed that you did the following things. 
And uh, when I saw these following things that you did, uh, I noticed them and then it stirred up. This is what it stirred up in me. And you might even attach, you know, I love that phrase. The story I told myself about it was, in other words, the thoughts that I made up, the story I told myself about what this meant, my meaning that I attached to it. And what I would really like is the following. And that's the beginning again of that conversation about, could you do this? And not just saying, you know, what I want you to do is this and expect that that person is going to jump to and do exactly what you say. It's not a demand. It's a want. She used the analogy, and I love this. Uh, let's just say that if wet towels bothered you on the floor, she said you would say this. I noticed that the towels are on the floor. The wet towels are on the floor. I feel very frustrated when the towels are on the floor. I would really appreciate it if the towels were not on the floor. Every long-term relationship where the other person somehow, it's impossible to imagine, but somehow that other person is not thinking or paying attention. It, in my life, it's the wet towel on the bedspread or the comforter. You know, I really do not want the bedspread <laughs> dampened by the wet towel. But over the last 32 years, in spite of requesting that, I noticed that sometimes the wet <laughs> towel winds up on the comforter or the bedspread. And I have just opted in that one particular way, in the spirit of generosity and reciprocity, to pick the towel up and go hang it up. And I know you have to pick your battles. And I know that my husband, because he's a reciprocal kind of person, does some of those things for me. There are things that I do which I'm just not thinking about it, or I'm in a hurry, or I'm not in my best self. And he just accommodates, you know, and is in is compassionate and loving and understanding. And we do that for each other, which is why, you know, I don't build up a lot of resentment when I affectionately pick up the wet towel from the comforter and hang it up on the <laughs> towel rack, uh, because I know that there's lots of things he does for me. Uh, but that's, you know, that concept of reciprocity and generosity is something that we really need to extend. Well, Chelsea, it's always so rich to talk with you. And uh, just for our listeners, you can find more about Chelsea on her website, ChelseaWakefield.com. And she loves questions. If you're having any struggles in a relationship or a work relationship, please feel free to email her at heartsidechats at gmail.com. And we always enjoy this time together and welcome your feedback. We'll, we'll be with you next time. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of Heartside Chats. If you like what you hear, please give us a five-star rating. That will help to elevate the podcast so that others can benefit from the content. If you have a relationship question or would like to communicate thoughts and feelings about anything we talked about today, consider sending us an email at heartsidechats at gmail.com. I also have a public Facebook group you can join called Heartside Chats. Thanks for listening.